0: Thank you so much for joining us, whether you're here in person, outdoors, or online. This week I heard from somebody in San Diego and somebody in St. Louis telling me that uh, they were watching our services online, so we appreciate you being here, watching there, and all of you who are here in person. Well, last week we were set to begin a brand new series, and then it was moved back to this weekend because we just felt that the Holy Spirit uh, was moving us in a different direction. And then when we came to this week, we felt that the Holy Spirit was doing the same thing. So we're putting the series off again for another week. Might be another week after that, who knows. But today I want to pick up where Pastor Greg left off last week and speak to you about the matter of depression and anxiety. Uh, he got a lot of response from last week, and, and so we just felt that we wanted to continue to speak uh, to that uh, particular issue. According to a survey that was taken by the U.S. Census Bureau that was released in December, it found that more than 42% of Americans, 42% reported having symptoms of anxiety and depression during this pandemic. That number um, is higher higher than it's ever been. And uh, it, it isn't just adults, but it's children and teenagers and all kinds of folks. According to a national survey that was taken by the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital, which is connected with the University of Michigan, they found that 46% of parents reported that that their teenager showed signs of a new or a worsening mental health condition since the pandemic started. That's 46% of parents found their children, their teenagers, struggling with this. And if you add it all up, if you add it all up, it means that nearly all of us, probably all of us, have been affected in one way, shape, or form by depression and anxiety. If it hasn't touched you personally, it has because it's very likely you know somebody who's struggling with these things. For the next 40 minutes or so, I want to unpack uh, anxiety and depression for you. And, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. Uh, Pastor Greg said this last week. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. But I'm a pastor. And so I want to ask you um, to turn to your Bible. Uh, turn to First Kings chapter eighteen. I'm going to want you to hear from what God's word has to say about this. I want to encourage you. Bring your Bibles to church with you, and if you're watching online, get your Bible and uh, open it up. First Kings chapter eight. You can also open up our app. Grab a pad of paper. Uh, we don't have notes here anymore. Uh, and I want to encourage you. Can also you might also want to use your uh, camera uh, phone to take some photos of some of the images that we're going to put up here for you, because you won't be able to write down everything that you see here quickly enough, so you might want to just take a photo of it. Um, and of course, you can always go back and watch it um, online once again, all right? Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Well, Father, thank you so much. Uh, boy, we look forward to these weekends, every single weekend. It is so <clears throat> good to be here, and we don't say that. We really, truly mean that. And Father, we're so thankful for our online ministry as well, that there are those um, all over the country, all over the state, even for that matter, all over the country who are able to tune in and watch what's going on here. And Father, I pray that regardless of where people are at, whether they're tuning in, whether they're, where they're tuning in from, whether they're here in person or out there, or even in a foreign country, Holy Spirit, just as you have redirected us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and everyone who's watching and listening. I believe that you did this for a reason, Lord, because this is something that you want your people to hear. So I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and I pray that you're, more than anything else, your Holy Spirit would speak to us right now. So thank you, Father, It's a heavy subject, speak to us, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by giving you a definition of depression and anxiety, because they are two different conditions. There's some similarities but they're different and they often go hand-in-hand. They often occur together. Now as a general rule, anxiety is characterized by chronic worry, all right? Chronic worry that impacts an individual's ability to function. So here's that statement there characterized by chronic worry and let me start by giving you 12 symptoms of anxiety according to the Mayo Clinic, all right? So these are not my symptoms, these, this comes from the Mayo Clinic. 12 symptoms uh, for this anxiety thing. We're gonna put six up on one screen. So after you see the six, you can take a photo of it if you want, and then we'll put six more up there, all right? Number one, first symptom of anxiety, according to the Mayo Clinic, one is feeling nervous, restless, or tense. Feeling nervous, restless, or tense. Number two, having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom. Third symptom of anxiety, Having an increased heart rate. Four, breathing rapidly. That would be hypertension or hyperventilation. Number five, sweating. And number six, trembling. Here's number seven, the next screen. Feeling weak or tired. Eight, trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry. Number nine, having trouble sleeping. Ten, experiencing uh, gastrointestinal problems. Eleven, having difficulty controlling worry. And 12, having the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety, all right? So those are the 12 symptoms of anxiety according to the Mayo Clinic, all right? Did any of those resonate with you? Depression, let me give you depression now. It's not about worrying, as it is about living with a persistent sense of sadness. It's living with a persistent sense of sadness, all right? Here's what the Mayo Clinic said of the 12 symptoms of depression. These are a little longer, so I'm gonna give you four on one screen four on another, and four on another, okay? And you can take those photos if you want. Number one, first uh, symptom of depression, feeling of, feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, or hopelessness. Number two, angry outbursts, irritability, or frustration, even over small matters. Three, loss of interest or pleasure in most or all normal activities such as sex, hobbies, or sports. Number four, sleep disturbances, including insomnia or sleeping too much right? Those are the first four. You want to take a photo of that. Here's number five. Tiredness and lack of energy. So even small tasks take extra effort. Six, reduced appetite and weight loss or increased cravings for food and weight gain. Seven, anxiety, agitation, or restlessness. Eight, slow thinking, speaking, or body movements. Those are the next four. Here are the final four. Feelings of worthlessness or guilt, fixating on past failures or self-blame. Again, this is about depression. Number 10, trouble thinking, concentrating, making decisions, and remembering things. 11, frequent or recurrent thoughts of death, suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, or suicide. And finally, number 12, unexplained physical problems such as back pain or headaches. That's depression, which is a little bit different from anxiety. So let me ask you something. Did any of these symptoms resonate with you? Probably, right? It sure did with me. Are you more anxious or are you more depressed, right? It's possible to identify with, uh, with both of these because you can be both anxious and depressed at the same time. That was me. That was me. At the end of 2011, going into 2012, I hit a wall. And I've talked about this before. But to refresh your memory, our church was homeless at the time. We had uh, been in a, our church had been meeting in a facility down the street here on 190th. Uh, we were there for 12 years. And then the uh, the landlord decided not to renew our lease because he wanted to expand his operations. And so we were effectively homeless. So we were able to get the holiday in on Vermont, and that's where we met on Sundays. And then we went from place to place on Saturday evening, so we could have a Saturday evening su- service, so we were basically homeless, right, soon after we were homeless, God opened up the possibility for us to move into this building, right where we're at today, Mo- opened up that possibility, but it wasn't easy moving in, to make a long story short, after more than a year of negotiations with the landlord to strike up a lease, and after paying an architect, an architect, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to come up with plans for our new home. For example, this worship center wasn't even here, all right? These were all low-level offices, I mean, with low ceilings is what I meant. Um, After a year-long effort to do that, we decided to walk away because we couldn't come to terms with the owner. We just couldn't come to terms, and um, I was crushed. I was crushed, and, and I sank into depression because I felt that I had failed the church. I felt responsible for having led the church down this path where we expended tens of thousands of dollars of the church's money to prepare plans to move in here, just to have nothing to show for it, just to walk away from this project. And I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with sadness and loss and even uh, guilt and some shame. And then I started experiencing insomnia, which is one of the symptoms of anxiety. Here's an excerpt. I, I, I keep a journal. I try to write it. In. I don't write it in it every day, but I kept a journal during this time. And I, I just took a photo of it and I'll put it up here for you. Here's an excerpt from my journal dated January the 8th, 2012. And it was like I was scribbling this because I think it was late at night. And here's what I wrote. Dear Lord Jesus, this is part of what I wrote. Dear Lord Jesus, it's me. It's me. This is my sixth. Straight night of sleeplessness. I'm distressed and weary. Your presence is my comfort. I don't know what is happening to me. I don't understand the fiery ordeal I'm in. I don't know what to do anymore. My anxious heart can't take much more of this. That's just part of what I wrote. My insomnia lasted for four months. Went on for about four months. And it was one of the darkest, most difficult seasons of my entire life. In the scriptures... There's a story about a man who experienced both anxiety and depression at the same time. And that was Elijah. Elijah is ranked as one of Israel's greatest prophets. And I want to tell you a little bit about this guy. Again, I ask you to turn. Uh, in your Bible, to 1 Kings chapter 18. So turn there. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy before we read it, okay? Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, 1, he prophesied that there would be a drought in the land of Israel. And there was. Lord, let there be a drought in Israel, and there was for three years. In 1 Kings 17:22, this is just kind of by way of review; you don't have to look at any of these. But in 1 Kings 17:22, he brought a widow's son back from the dead. He died, and he prayed, and he brought him back from the dead. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8, he parted the Jordan River like Moses parted the Red Sea. And then in 1 Kings chapter 18, this is I want you to look at. He went toe-to-toe against a guy, the king of Israel. His name was Ahab. Take a look at 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. And it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, again, Ahab is the king of Israel. When he saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Baals would be all these... False, you know, God's idols, right? Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. This is Elijah speaking. Gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. All right? So, first of all, Jezebel was um, the king's wife. She was the queen, basically, of Israel. And so Ahab, first of all, Ahab calls Elijah a troublemaker. And Elijah says, no, I'm not the troublemaker, dude. You're the troublemaker because you won't obey the Lord. And then he gathered them together. He said, to challenged them to this epic duel. They would go head to head. It would be Elijah and his God against Ahab and the gods of all his false prophets. This was a battle of the gods, a battle of the gods. And both sides gathered on Mount Carmel, and they each each side set up an altar. And both sides were given a bull, and they cut up the bull, and they placed the... Meat of the bull, they put the bull, cut a bull on each of the altars. Ahab had his, the false prophets had theirs, and Elijah had theirs. Now, the test was, whoever could get their god or gods to come down and burn their altar with fire would be the winner. And so the 450 prophets of Baal gathered around their altar, and they started praying to Baal. And they started pleading with Baal from morning to noon to light that baby up. Take a look at verse 26. It says, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Nothing happened. Well, of course, nothing happened. Baal is a false idol, he's, he's not a real God, right? Nothing happened. Their God was powerless. But well, here's what happened next, verse 27. And it says, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. He mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is God. Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Elijah taunted them. Shout louder, he can't hear you. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's deep in thought. <laughs> you love this? This is great. Maybe he's asleep, and you got to wake him up. What's wrong with your God? And then the prophet Elijah, it's his turn, and he called on Almighty God. In fact, just to make it a little interesting, he poured water all over the altar to make it harder to light. And he called on Almighty God to rain down fire from heaven, and he did. And God came down, and it consumed that altar, and it consumed the, the bull. In the next verse, in verse 39, it says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Amazing story. If you've never read this story in its entirety, go back and read it this week. It's, It's one of the best stories in the Bible. What happened among Carmel was a stunner. It was a stunner. Right after God, now get this, right after God rained down fire from heaven, Elijah went out and he slaughtered all those 450 prophets of Baal. He wiped them out, right? Elijah was the man. He was the man. He was a spiritual giant. He could call on a drought. He could part the Jordan River. He could raise the dead. He could get God to rain down fire from heaven. He was an amazing guy. But you know what happened next? You know what happened next? Take a look at what happened next. 1 Kings chapter 19, turn to the next chapter, verse 1. Ahab told Jezreel, his wife, the queen, all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezreel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. All right, so grab a pen if you've got your Bibles underlined sent a messenger. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, and the message was this, I'm going to kill you. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. You're going to be dead. In 24 hours, you're going to be a dead man because of what you did. And do you know what Elijah, the man of God, did? This man, he was the man, a spiritual giant, called on fire from heaven, could part the Jordan River, can raise the dead. You know what he did? Take a look at verse 3. It says, just the first part of it, and then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. Circle the word afraid. He, he literally freaked out. Can you believe that? He freaked out, and his anxiety kicked in. His anxiety kicked in. Now let me read verse 3 and 4 in its entirety, all right? Take a look at verse 3, starting again in verse 3. And then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You can stop there. I mean, this was unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Elijah fled. Elijah fled into the Judean desert, and he sat under a broom tree, right? In case you're wondering what a broom tree looks like, it doesn't look like a broom, it looks like a a large brush. Here's a picture of a broom tree. And, And when we were in Israel two years ago, we went to the Judean desert, and there's nothing there. It's hot, and you might see a couple of broom trees there, but there's nothing there. So he gets into the Judean desert, finds a broom tree, crawls underneath it, and he has this conversation with God. And what he says to him, I want to die. I want to die. Take my life. Kill me. God, kill me. So you see, now we see that Elijah is experiencing depression on top of his anxiety. First he freaked out, and now he wants to die. Now, I don't think from my reading of this that he was suicidal because he wasn't threatening to take his own life. He was asking God to take his life. So i'm not sure that he was suicidal but one thing was clear elijah was anxious and he was depressed and in a in the story it's an amazing story in a blink of an eye in the blink of an eye he went from being a hero to a zero just like that it's hard to believe it's the same guy hard to believe it's the same guy and i love this story because it just gives us so much insight into depression and anxiety first it teaches us that everyone is susceptible Everyone is susceptible to anxiety and depression, right? We all can become depressed and, and anxious. I mean, literally. I mean, you can write this one down. Depression and anxiety can afflict all of us fast. I would add fast. I mean, it can hit us fast. One minute you can be on a spiritual high, and the next minute you can find yourself in the depths of despair. And, uh, you know, if, if a, a prophet and a pastor can get anxious and depressed, anybody can get depressed, any, any of you can get depressed. And it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, it doesn't matter how many years you walk with Christ, it could hit you as well. And the reason why Elijah fell, simply, the simple reason why he fell was because he was human. I think one of the most inspiring verses about Elijah is found in the New Testament. It says in James chapter 5, verse 17. I'll just put it up here for you. You don't have to turn there. But it says, Elijah, and I'm just going to read the first part. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man just like us, right? He wasn't Superman. He wasn't a superhero. He was a man just like you and me, and that made him susceptible to upswings and downswings, emotional upswings and downswings. He could be happy. He could be sad, just like us. And Elijah proved that you can love Jesus with all your heart and still battle depression and anxiety. You know the problem we we we, we have with anxiety and depression. The, the problem we we the thing we used to tend to do is uh, we tend to stigmatize people who suffer from depression and anxiety. I think we tend to stigmatize them. Uh, therefore, you know we, we don't talk about it, or we're, we're ashamed of it. Family member is depressed or anxious, or maybe if you are, you want to keep it kind of hush hush right? Don't, don't tell anyone, right? Yet, we all struggle with it. We have the potential to struggle with it. And if you struggle, if you struggle with depression and anxiety, guess what? You're not alone. You're not alone. You know, last week, Pastor Greg mentioned that we're all influenced by these voices that we hear. Now, it may not be an actual audible voice, like I'm hearing these voices, right? No, not, not necessarily that. It could be just a thought that comes into your head, it could be something that somebody says to you. It could be something that you read. It could be something that you see and on the, on, on, online somewhere, and you just get this thought. And like, And there are all these messages that are coming at us all the time, 24-7. Messages like, you're no good. You're no good. You're worthless. You're ugly. Nobody cares about you. I don't care about you. You're failure. You're never gonna make anything of your life. You're gonna get COVID and die. And and there's so many other voices that we hear, right? And the danger that we face is that if we believe these words, if we believe what we hear, it can lead to depression and anxiety. You can write that one down. The messages that we hear can trigger depression and anxiety. One of the thoughts that I kept hearing over and over again during my months of battling insomnia, I kept this, hearing this over and over again. It wasn't, it wasn't an audible voice, but just a thought. You're never going to sleep again. You're never going to sleep. You're going to go on, and you're going to be like this, and then, and then you know what's going to happen? It was another thought that came into my head. You're going to die from sleep deprivation. You're going to die from exhaustion. You know, one of the things I never do When I get an ache or a pain or when I'm struggling, I never look it up online to see what it says. Because I don't need to hear more voices telling me what could happen to me. I don't need that, right? And you don't need that either. See, I believe that one of the schemes of the devil is to bombard us with these voices and thoughts and messages that will lead to our demise. I believe that. And they, they could come from people, it could come from something you read online, it could come from these random thoughts that you have that just come out of nowhere, and what we need to do is filter them out. We need to filter the good from the bad, right? And uh, you can always tell a good thought or a good message by its tone. You can always tell by its tone. If a message that you receive or a thought that you have is uplifting, if it's positive, if it's encouraging, then receive it. But if the message you receive is negative and if it's pessimistic and if it's critical and it's destructive then you should reject it because it's probably a lie straight out of the pit of hell. For Satan is the father of lies. It's probably from him. See, God would never say to you He would never say to you, you're worthless. He would never say that. He would never say to you, you're a loser. Loser. He would never say, you're hopeless. He would never say to you, no one likes you and I don't either. He would never say, you're better off dead. Lord, Lord, Lord would never say those things. You never, never, never in a million years would he ever say those things to you, but Satan would in a heartbeat because he hates you. Instead, God would say to you things like, I made you, and you are mine. I inscribed your name on the palm of my hands. I love you so much I sent my son to die on a cross for you. I chose you before the foundations of the world. I'm crazy about you. And I have a plan for your life. And I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And see, those are the kind of messages we need to listen to. Right? And, and where do they come from? Right here. Right? comes right from right here, the word of God. These are the message, words we need to listen to. Now, picture this. I'm months upon months i can't sleep i'm struggling I, I you know when i can't sleep i start to get anxious and then i start to kind of freak out and so and then i hear these again i wasn't hearing audible voices okay but i get these thoughts like you're not gonna sleep you're never gonna sleep you're gonna die of exhaustion right and so i think i share this with you i i and i thought okay well i'll just pray you know some people say, "Oh, you know i just God wakes me, can't, makes me not go sleep so I can pray. Well, you know, I, I found that praying didn't help because it, it just made my mind more active, right? So, so I, you know, lights off, shell sleeping, and I grabbed my phone and I opened up my Bible app. And uh, I said, I'm going to read the Bible, right? So I, 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 I said, I'm not going to read anything that's going to make me think. I'm just going to read and let, it, let God's words minister to me. So I opened up the book of Psalms. And I started in Psalm 1, and I read it, and it was so good, and then Psalm 2, and then I read it and Psalm 3, and I read it, and it just, you know, the whole psalm is like, it's a poem, right? It's about, so much of it is about who God is and what He's like, and, and um, so I read it, and um, I, would, I would go and go, and it... I read it from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 150. And when I got done with 150, I would read 150 over again. I worked my way backward. I would read 149 and 148 and 147 all the way down to, to 1. And then I would go back from 1 and I would read it all the way up to 150 again. I would go back and forth until I read the whole thing. I don't know how many times. But every time I read it, it would give me a peace. It would give me a peace that just was, I mean, I still couldn't sleep. But the anxiety went away. I mean, I, I'd be reading it, you know, my little, at my little, I'd be reading it at two o'clock in the morning. And I'd try to go sleep and I'd, I'd wake up at four, I'd be still up at four o'clock in the morning, so I'd pull it out and read it again. Sometimes I was up when the sun came up. And I would read it and read it and read it again. Like, said, sometimes I couldn't sleep. But my anxiety went away and I had peace. And uh, those are the kind of words we need to listen to, right? We need, we need to, so write this one down. Depression, anxiety can be countered. It can be countered by hearing uplifting words. And there are no more uplifting words than, than what are found right here in the Bible. So let's get back to the story, All right, The moment Elijah got word that the queen was gunning for him, that was it, right? I mean, that's when he it triggered depression, and anxiety. He freaked out. And so, write this one down. Our anxiety, our circumstances, our circumstances can often ignite depression and anxiety within us. Okay, it's our circumstances what can ignite anxiety and depression? His circumstances what ignited his uh, depression and anxiety? And I shared this with you before, but there was a point in my life. This was before I became a pastor. When I was diagnosed with clinical depression, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. The male Clinic says that clinical depression is a more severe form of depression, all right? So I didn't have the mild form. Why couldn't I get the mild form? I had the severe form, right? And my depression, I was told, had a lot to do with a number of my circumstances, difficult circumstances, a failed business, which I've talked to you about before, and a number of other things. And for months, I found myself overcome with a sense of sadness and loss, and I started to withdraw from people. And the joy left me. And the laughter escaped from me. And there were times when I would go out to the beach in the middle of the night, at midnight, Hermosa Beach in the middle of the night, and I would cry out to God in a loud voice. I'm to wonder if some rich guy didn't hear me on the strand. Who's that? Who's that guy crying out, you know? And I'd cry out to God. It was my dark night of the soul. You know, when I read that depression had spiked during this pandemic, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised given the horrendous circumstances that people have faced in these last 14 months. Maybe you have. Maybe during these last 14 months, in, the source of your income completely dried up. Maybe you couldn't celebrate graduation, something you look forward to all your life. You couldn't celebrate graduation, you, can go to, you couldn't go to, go to prom. Maybe it's your dream to play high school hoops or college tennis and now you're in your senior year and you couldn't even do that dashed by COVID. Maybe it was a beautiful wedding ceremony. You had you dreamed of getting married, you know, ladies get dreamed of marrying all their lives, the bride, and then had planned these beautiful weddings for 200 people and gone. You had to cancel it. You couldn't even go on your honeymoon. Maybe you couldn't go on your vacation, the family vacation you had saved a lifetime for. Maybe, maybe and this happened to so many people, you, maybe you lost a loved one during the pandemic and you couldn't even be there for them in the hospital when they took their last, last breath. Maybe your marriage crashed and burned in these last 12 months. Or maybe you witnessed your mom or your dad begin to drink and to take drugs because they're struggling. And so often, I mean, our circumstances, our circumstances, everything that we're surrounded by triggers our depression and anxiety. You know, one of the greatest preachers of all time was a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This guy, this guy right here. He was dubbed the Prince of Preachers. The Prince of Preachers. And he preached in England. But well, what people don't know about Her- Spurgeon is that he suffered from anxiety. He, he suffered from depression, rather. All his life, he struggled with depression. On the evening of Sunday, October the 19th, 1956, six, his depression took a, a turn for the worse when he preached for the first time at the, lovely, at, the, at the newly built Surrey Gardens Music Hall, London. This is what it looks like. Surrey Garden Gardens Music Hall. They just built it, right? And he had the opportunity to preach there October the 19th, 1956. This is what it looked like inside. And 10,000 people came. 10,000 people came and they packed that hall to hear Spurgeon preach. Thousands more stood outside. And just as Spurgeon concluded his prayer and he said, amen, someone in the back shouted, fire, fire, fire. The galleries are falling. And in an instant, the place was utter pandemonium and chaos. According to one witness, uh, described the mayhem this way, as people stampeded toward the exits. Quote, they pressed on, treading furiously over the dead and dying, tearing frantically at each other. Hundreds had their clothes torn from their backs in their endeavors to escape. Masses of men and women were driven down and trodden over, heedless of their cries and lamentations. Many died, and many more were injured in that terrible tragedy, and for weeks Upon weeks, Spurgeon remained dazed and confused and plagued with guilt, and as he sank deeper and deeper and deeper into depression, those close to him said that he would cry and cry and cry. All day long he would cry until there were no more tears to cry. And to make matters worse, the British press just piled on him and skewered him in in print. In the years that followed that tragedy, Spurgeon was afflicted with disease and illness, one after the other. He was berated by church people for being unwilling to compromise essential Christian doctrines, and finally was forced to resign from his church. And in his final sermon, here's what he proclaimed, quote, Christ is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross always lies on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he also carries it. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, tender yes, lavish and super in love, you will always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him Blessed be his name, and I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if so it pleased him. His service is life, peace, and joy. He went on from that church and died at the age of 52. No matter what the circumstances were, no matter what they were, no matter how depressed, how despairing he became Spurgeon leaned hard into Christ even when it didn't feel when even when he didn't feel his father's presence he leaned hard into him because he knew he was there he did with the Apostle Paul Apostle Paul said we should do Colossians 3 2 Paul said set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth set your mind on things above keep looking up right? Keep looking up. You see, the way we counter depression and anxiety is by leaning hard into God, but keep looking up, and that's what we need to do when you're anxious and depressed. Whatever you do, don't stop looking to God. Whatever you do, don't stop praying. Don't stop leaning hard into God. Even when it doesn't feel like God is there, you don't stop because He is there. You know, after Elijah ran for his life, the first place he hit was the town of Beersheba. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. Take a look at it again. At the end of verse 3, he runs, he runs away. He runs to Beersheba, and it says here at the end of verse 3, he, he left his servant there. Notice that? He left his servant there. So apparently when Elijah ran away, his servant went with him. And they ran to Beersheba, that was the first stop, and then he left his servant there. And then from there, he kept going, he ran into into the Judean wilderness. Now notice at the beginning of verse 4, it says, but he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. But he himself, underline he himself in your Bible, the implication of he himself went into the wilderness is that he went all alone. He went all alone. Elijah was all by his lonesome. And now he was completely isolated. It's no wonder he became depressed and wanted to die. You see, another trigger of depression and anxiety is loneliness and isolation. It's loneliness and isolation. And unfortunately, we've seen this in spades during the pandemic. People have slipped into depression because they've been isolated and alone. I've seen this with my own mom. And we've seen this not only in adults, but we've seen this in children and in preteens and in teenagers and young adults. Young adults, it's been rampant. We've seen it in the elderly. You know, in Genesis 2.18, 8, God says something very insightful about the needs of people. He said in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Not good for man to be alone. The God who created you said, It is not good for you to be alone. In other words, we need each other, right? We were created to do life together. And let me just add this. It's not the presence of people that we need. You don't need a body. What you need are these emotional and relational connections with people. And you can write that one down. We it, Depression and anxiety can be countered by having an emotional and relational connection with other people. And one of the places you can experience an emotional, relational connect, emotional connection with people is church. It is church, which is why we've always said when you come to church, don't just show up in the back door, come in late, and then leave as soon as the message is done. Stick around and say hello to some people, get to know some people, and then best, better yet, join a small group so you can form an emotional and relational connection with people. And this, is, this point right here is, is one of the reasons why it was so important for us to begin meeting in person as soon as we believed it was safe to do so so that you can begin connecting with other people. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people. Someone was just telling me this today. I can't tell you the number of people we heard from who told us that they were literally withering away because they couldn't come to church. Withering away. Now, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for our online ministry and for all our our staff and volunteers that help us do that. But as good as it is, there is no substitute for meeting in person. There's no substitute for being with other people. Some of you, one person told me that, well, a bunch of you have told me when you came for the first time and you sat in those seats and when the worship started, the tears just flowed and they wouldn't stop. Someone else told me, she told me, that the first time she pulled in the parking lot, just driving in the parking lot, she started to weep for joy. I mean, a bunch of cars, you know, like a parking But But it was a reminder of her she's, she's home, right? And this is home. So I want to say to all of you who aren't here yet, come back to church. Come back to church. Because not only do you need church, we need you. We need you. The people here need you. And if you're struggling with depression or anxiety, or you've been thinking about suicide, we need each other, right? Tell someone. Tell someone. If you're a young person, tell your parents. Tell a youth pastor. Don't just tell a a peer if you're a young person, right? Because they won't know how to handle that right? Tell a responsible adult, reach out to one of our pastors, whether it's depression, anxiety, or suicide. Don't carry the burden of depression, anxiety, and suicide all by yourself. And there's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be ashamed of. We all struggle. And if you need to call Suicide Hotline, do so, because your life matters to God, and your life matters to us. And if you're wondering, What that number is, I'll put it up here for you. This is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-TALK, 8255. It's available 24-7. If you know somebody who's struggling or if you're struggling, call that line. And then reach out to somebody here at church. And if you know somebody who's struggling with these issues, go all out to love them. Go all out. Stop at nothing to love them. Pray for them. Make yourself available to them. Check up on them and speak words of encouragement to them. And don't tell them you understand because unless you've been through it, you won't understand. And especially if you've gone through it, make yourself available because you can minister from a point of having gone through it yourself. You see, the the church needs you and uh, just as much as we need you. Let me give you one last trigger and that's fear. All right? Fear. First Kings 19:3. I had you circle the word afraid, all right? When Elijah got the word that Jezebel was going to kill him, it says he became afraid. He became afraid and it ignited depression and anxiety. So fear is another trigger. You can write that one down. Yoda said fear is the path to the dark side. No it isn't, right? Fear is the p- I didn't do a very good job of that. Fear Fear is not the path to the dark side. Fear is the path to depression and anxiety. That's what it's a path to. Last year, we probably experienced more fear than we ever have in our entire lives. And I, I'll be honest with you, I had my share of it. People were afraid of getting the virus. They were afraid of, if they got it, they might give it to somebody else. They, might, they were afraid that if they were positive, they might have given it to somebody else, giving it to their family. People are afraid of, you know, I know I didn't like this idea of being quarantined in a room for two, two weeks. You know, and I kept thinking, what am I going to do if I get sick? What am I going to do? And I can't stay at home, right? And they were, there's all these fears. Not, not, I can't breathe, you know, like not being able to breathe. They, fear of dying, fear of dying alone, fear of running out of toilet paper, losing your job, fear of flying, fear of going to work, fear of going to school, fear of going to the market, fear for your kids, fear for your parents. Afraid of not getting the vaccine. Afraid of getting the vaccine. Afraid of, even after you've been fully vaccinated, still being afraid to go out because you're still afraid you're going to get sick. Even though your chance of getting COVID is seven one-hundredths of one percent if you're fully vaccinated. So this is a big one. Fear can be absolutely paralyzing and debilitating. And that's the reason why the scriptures have so much to say about fear. Do you know that? So much to say about Fear. Did you know there, there are 365 verses in the Bible on fear? 365, that's one for every day. There's a verse on um, fear, one for every day, 365. If you read these verses, in fact, that's a, great, that's a great little assignment for you, right? You can do this for your devotions. Read a verse on fear every single day. If you read these verses, the message that keeps coming through loud and clear is this, don't be afraid. Don't Don't fear. Fear not. In fact, Jesus said it over and over again. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be wise, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't take precautions, and you shouldn't exercise care in the things that you do. Of course, we should all do that, and we're trying to do that here. But at the end of the day, we've got to trust God. We've got to trust God to take care of us. We've got to trust God. Parents, you've got to trust God to take care of your parents. You've got to trust God to take care of your children. David said in Psalm 56, 3, he said, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You see, depression and anxiety can be countered by faith. It can be countered by faith. And it's not so much, this one is not so much about depression and anxiety that we counter with faith. It's fear that we meet head on with faith, right? We counter fear with faith. So let me ask you something. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? Is it coronavirus? Is it cancer? Is it your future? Is it not having enough money? Are you afraid for your children? Whatever you're afraid of, trust God. Trust God. Let me say one last thing and we're done. There are other causes of depression and anxiety that are not covered in this passage, right? And I just want to mention it. And it has to do, could have to, it may have to do with your genetics. It may have to do with some kind of a imbalance or thing going on in your brain. It could be psychological factors. It could be the result of mental illness. I don't know, it's above my pay grade to try to diagnose that for you. It's not addressed in this passage. But I wanted to close by just acknowledging to all of you that sometimes depression and anxiety needs to be treated medically, right? Sometimes it's connected with some form of mental illness. Not always, but sometimes. And if depression and anxiety continues to persist in your life or the life of a loved one, my counsel to you is seek medical attention. Talk to a doctor because there might be some other way to treat it. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'm very transparent here. I, I take 100 milligrams of Atenolol every day, 100 milligrams of Atenolol every day. It keeps my heart and blood pressure from going out of whack. I take it every day, and, and the doctor said, I'll have to take it for the rest of my life, right? Some people need to take a pill to keep their heads from going out of whack. And if that's you, that's okay. You're not any different from anybody else. If that's what you have to do to stay mentally fit, do it. I take a to keep my heart from going out of whack, and I'm going to continue to do it because I don't want to come up here one day and just keel over in front of you, right? But more than anything else, fill your mind with uplifting words, God's words, get connected to God's people. Get connected to the people. Come back to church. Keep leaning hard into Christ and trust Him. And one day, when we come to the end of our lives, we'll be able to say, as Spurgeon said, "Christ is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was like. No, there never was His like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, He always takes the bleak side of the hill." The heaviest end of the cross always lies on his shoulders. And if he bids us carry a burden, he also carries it. And if there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yes, lavish and superabundant love, you will always find it in him. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, whether you're watching online or outdoors are here inside. i want to I want to pray for for us. I want to pray for all of you. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety or maybe you you know somebody who is right now. I, pr- I pray that these truths from Elijah's story will be helpful to you in some way but more than anything else, we, we need Him, right? We need Him. So Father, I, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you, to you here today and everybody who's watching, everybody who's listening, everybody who's here. Even for those, who, some who might be here or watching who don't even have a relationship, you don't, don't even know who you are. Lord God, you, you love people so much. And Father, the the sad truth is we live in a we live in a pretty messed up world and it's it's understandable it's understandable that people can freak out it's understandable that our circumstances can lead us to get depressed and sad and anxious and so father i pray that you'd begin to turn that around for us. I pray that you would begin to work in our hearts and lives. Father, for all those who are struggling with this right now, Father, for all those who are struggling right now just to sleep, for all those who are struggling to, to care for somebody who is struggling with these things, I lift them up to you. Father, you know intimately what their struggles are. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would come around them and that you would touch them and that you would undergird them with your hand, your righteous right hand, and hold them up. And I pray that you would help them even when it doesn't seem like you're there. God, give them the faith to trust you. Give them the faith to lean upon you. Father, bring people into their lives who will just love on them. And for all of us who are, who are doing okay right now, and maybe we've struggled from this. God, deploy us. Put us to work, God. Be sen- that we would be sensitive to all those around us. That we would care for those who are struggling and hurting and depressed and anxious. That we might lift them up. Lord, we need each other. And so, Father, touch us. That we might say, at the end of the day, there is no one like you, Christ. There is no one like you like our magnanimous Prince of Peace. So Father, we love you. Continue to minister to us. We need you, Lord. Continue to touch us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.